Welcome to The Entertainment Entrepreneur, the podcast for actors, writers, producers, and really anyone working in the entertainment industry with a passion for entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Monica Hammond, a serial entrepreneur in the entertainment industry. Join me as I sit down with Broadway stars, Hollywood favorites, and industry changemakers to chat about their own journeys launching, running, pivoting, and scaling their businesses. I hope you enjoy this episode. My name is Chip Close, and I'm a multi-hyphenate. I've lived here in New York City for 20 years, and I've led two parallel careers, one in uh, the arts and the other one in hospitality. Uh, And as time has gone on, one has supported the other in really unique and unforeseen ways. Hey, Chip. Nice to have you here. (laughs) Glad to be here. I wanted to bring you on to this podcast because you, well, you and I have been working together closely now for quite a while. Um, and I think you have such an interesting background and journey to where you've you've come. So I'd love to talk a little bit at first about your background in the theater and the arts and really how that kind of led you to what you're doing now. You know, I was listening to the first episode you did with uh, Ken Davenport and Ken is such an entrepreneurial mind, and I didn't know what that was when I got started, um, but I was an entrepreneur from when I first got into theater. So, I mean, I got into theater in high school, like so many other people did. Um, I came to it really late, my junior year of high school, and I, I, I was oh, I was good, but not very good, and um, my first introduction is, you know, I, I got some parts in plays and musicals, and they were smaller parts, and... It wasn't what I aspired to. And uh, back in high school, my senior year, I put on a production of Godspell, um, sort of because I wasn't happy with the way that my high school theater career had gone. And I was like, I want one more chance. And so I pulled together all these kids from my high school and the high school across the town, and we put it on. And what I didn't realize at the time is that, like, that was weird. Like, <laughs> that was weird to, like, Mickey and Judy put on a show um, and so I was not only a performer in that, I was really the producer and it's sort of like the company manager and the stage manager. We did so much and, you know, we just, you know, brought everyone together and that's really how I got started. I, you know, I went to school, got my BFA in musical theater. I got my card. I worked a lot. I came to the city. I worked a lot and, and all of that sort of led me out of performing and into the other side of the table, which was directing and choreographing. That led me to producing. I had an off-Broadway theater company, a nonprofit that I ran for uh, about five years. Uh, And all of that led me to writing, which which is really sort of what I do now. So when we talk about the creative side, the artistic side of my career, it's been sort of an evolution, but it's all stemmed from this idea of, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, having an idea, making it happen, putting something out into the world. Um, and and interestingly enough, it's like my whole hospitality career has sort of supported the artistic career, as many people out there will know, and, and I'm sure everyone has their own story. Um, but it's when the creative stuff started inspiring the restaurant stuff and the restaurant stuff started inspiring the creative stuff um, that my career and my life sort of took off in a really in really interesting directions. I love that. Talk to me a little bit more about your background in the hospitality industry. I know when I first got to know you, I was you named some restaurants that you had worked for that I was like, oh, I had an anniversary dinner there. Like it was it was yeah. really cool stuff. Yeah, I you know, so I came to New York um, 
you know, I had been working a lot in Philadelphia. I got my um, got my degree in Philadelphia, worked a lot, got my equity card in Philadelphia, and then moved to New York. And I was sort of like, I don't need to work for a while. Like, I, I just worked a lot because I worked like my last two years of college almost straight through. And I was very fortunate in that uh, in that respect. When I came to New York, right out of you know, right out of school, I really wanted to be in New York. I wanted to see shows. I wanted to take class. I wanted to just to be a part of the city, and uh, I needed a job. So I went and got a job in a restaurant because that's what you did. I said, okay, I'm going to audition during the day. I'm going to take class during the day. I need uh, a job that I can work at night. This is nothing, nothing unique. And, you know, thousands and thousands of people pour into the city every year and do that, except I wasn't qualified to do anything, right? So <laughs> I got a job as a host, and then I realized that paid $8 an hour. Uh, it's not a lot of money now. It wasn't a lot of money back then either. Um, so I you know, positioned myself as a server where I could make a little bit more money. I got a job in another restaurant as a server, a better restaurant where I made better money. And I sort of did that leapfrog and I leapfrogged all the way into fine dining. What's really interesting is that when you start, when you hang around uh, hospitality long enough in restaurants, um, there's a very low barrier of entry. Like as long as you prove yourself um, competent and, um, and capable you'll be given opportunities that you wouldn't be given in, in other industries. And so I worked my way up, you know, in, into front waiter and captain. And then I was a maitre d'. I ran the front door of restaurants for a while. Then I moved into management. Um, this was as I was moving into like producing and then into writing, you know, so I took more responsibility on the hospitality side. Um, and some of that was good and some of that was not good for me in my career, in my life. But I learned a lot. Because I opened a ton of restaurants, I worked with a lot of super smart people. I worked a lot. I worked in a lot of important restaurants. I worked with a lot of important people. And and the interesting thing was, as I was sort of dissatisfied with my theater career as we went along, as I think many artists are, I was like, I looked at the other half of my life, and I was like, but I've got a resume over here that people would die for. I mean, I've got. I don't know, a dozen Michelin stars on my on that resume, right? I've got worked with three James Beard Award winners on that resume. I've worked with movie star Richard Gere. I opened a Relay and Chateau property, with which if anybody is in hospitality, they know Michelin stars are a big deal. James Beard Awards are a big deal. A Relay and Chateau uh, accreditation is a big deal. So my theater career had... Um, you know, had some drama desk nominations and some off-Broadway shows and some original cast and some really cool development projects. And yet on my hospitality side, I suddenly had this, like, it was like 19 Broadway shows and four <laughs> Tony Awards and all of this. And and I fought that for a really long time until I until I stopped. And, and a lot of that was when my priorities started changing, when my wife and I decided to start a family, as I think anybody listening to this will understand that priorities change. And I decided to put my focus more into the hospitality side, which allowed me to really start my own business and, and start working with myself, for myself, providing for my family in a way that the theater career wasn't, in a way that, you know, waiting tables or just managing wasn't. I was really able to, um, to take things into my own hands. Yeah. It sounds like I, I had a, a similar experience as well throughout theater. Like you love it, you're so passionate. And then your life starts to change in different ways. And mm -hmm. I don't want to say necessarily you grow up a little bit, but for me, it was, it was a bit of, you know, I fell in love with marketing, whereas you fell in love with restaurateurship. <laughs> well, and you know what? It really was marketing. You, you said you fell in love yeah. with marketing. I, I will tell you, I was working, so I had my uh, theater company and um, 
I was working with somebody. He stepped away and he basically left me with a nonprofit. I had a 501c3. It was like all the paperwork was done. Everything was ready to go and it was just in my lap. I just didn't have the, you know, if I was the artistic director, I didn't have the uh, executive producer, the, you know, somebody on the other side, the managing director to handle that. And I ended up working with uh, with a guy who had gone to Columbia, went through the producing program. Um, he's now a general manager. You know, he's worked at, you know, second stage and the Dodgers and uh, primary stages. Very accomplished, very capable. And he's the one who really opened my eyes to marketing. He's the one who introduced me to, you know, people like Seth Godin and Derek Sivers and, you know, who were writing about really interesting things. All those lessons applied directly to how we market theater, right? How we create a product, how we find an audience for that product, how we fill a need, how we how we create demand. Uh, and all those lessons, uh, honestly, I just started applying a lot of them to the restaurant side, which is when I started getting out of the day-to-day grind of like working, managing restaurants, and I started working with restaurants. So interestingly enough, it's like the same sort of, it's the same sort of thing. That's what became really fascinating to me. And, um, and I found that really, and I found that really satisfying work. So as you, as you sort of got more into marketing, um, what was the transition like and how did you really find like your first client? Was it a consulting basis? Like how did that whole thing happen for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll back up and just say briefly, one of the things that always drove me crazy, continues to drive me crazy about the theater industry and about a lot of artistic pursuits is that I couldn't just wake up and go do my thing, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Like a painter can wake up and say, I feel like painting. I got a canvas. I got some paints. I'm gonna go paint. I'm going to go do my thing, do my art. And as a lot of, you know, actors will say, you're constantly having to ask permission, right? And that's what an audition is, right? Can I do my art? Can I do my art? Can I... You're allowed to do your art for about 22 seconds, you know, a 16-bar cut. That's you doing your art in, you know, in a sterile rehearsal room with over, you know, cheap overhead lighting and all that. We're constantly asking permission to do our work that I wasn't able to just do it. And that's what got me on the path of directing because I could pick up a property and an entity and work with the writers and develop the show and help take that around. That's why I produced. It's the ultimate act of creation because it does not exist without a producer saying, this needs to exist. I'm going to make this, uh, I'm going to bring this to life. It's the same thing with writing. It was that thing. And it was the same thing when, you know, I applied all of that to the work that I started doing, you know, on the marketing side. To answer your question, Again, this is a long way around of coming back to this to answer your question in a more complete way, and I hope it was worth sort of the roundabout way of doing it. But in all of this, I was also an amateur photographer. It's something that I learned in high school that I really fell in love with, um, that I never needed to be good at. Right? Like I didn't care. It was just for me and myself. I always liked kind of walking around the city for an hour or two a week. So I didn't even do it that much. I would just walk around and take pictures. But I understood exposure, right? I understood how to take a good photograph. So let's look at like 2014, 15, 16. Social media starts blowing up. In particular, Instagram starts exploding. And suddenly restaurants needed high quality content on a consistent basis. I looked around and I said, you know, I think there's an appetite. I think there's room for someone, you know, for someone to do this. And I have the the skill set. I have the network, the contacts. I know food. I know chefs. And I also know how to take a good picture. And then I was teaching myself about social media. So I, I really 
just sort of jumped off. And that was the beginning of me starting my own business. And I always tell this, I always tell the story because I believe transparency is really important. And especially on a podcast like this, where we're talking about how we create businesses that support ourselves, our lives, our families, our other pursuits. I had no time to write when I was working in restaurants. I was working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Um, and I, I was making, uh, let's say, $70,000 a year, right? So it was a good living. It wasn't a ton of money, right? But it was good. It's fine. It, it supported me. And I sat back. So your question was, you know, how did you get your first client? I sort of sat back, and this was right around the time when my wife was pregnant, and I was, we were looking to make a change, and I needed to change my life because I wanted to be home for you know, evening dinners and weekends and holidays and all that, which is not possible in the restaurant industry. I said $70,000 a year. That's like $6,000 a month. And I suddenly, it seemed much more palatable. I just thought, I can do that. I can replace $6,000 of income. It's like, could I find six clients, each willing to pay me $1,000 a month to take all their photos, to manage their social media feeds, to post, to engage, to, you know, to do all of that. Is that worth $1,000? Could I charge $1,000? That's how I began my business by just compartmentalizing it and say, great, what are we actually looking at? What sort of what sort of money do I need to make? And now the first client I got, I think I got half that. But over a year or two or three, those fees went up and I could, you know, raise it from 500 to 700 to 800 to 1,000 to 1,200, right? And then I started offering a whole suite of services because I learned about web design. And I learned about email marketing and I learned uh, I had basic graphic design skills, which, again, I learned from running a theater company because we couldn't afford to pay anyone to do anything. So I learned Photoshop and InDesign. And so all of these things Then I had this whole this whole, uh, you know, bunch of skills that I could offer restaurant owners. And then video became a big deal. And I realized, hey, I was a choreographer for a while and I taught myself how to use Final Cut Pro because you have to do your reel. And rather than pay somebody $1,000 to do my reel, I just taught myself how to do it so I could cut all my footage together. So then suddenly that was on the table as a skill that I could offer it up. It was just suddenly all of this artistic, and that's what I mean, like I had two parallel careers and it was when they started meeting where, where things really started changing in my life for the better. And, and, and all of these skills I realized were marketable. They just weren't that marketable in theater, but they were marketable. <laughs> they were valuable to someone else in in a whole other industry. I love that. You have such like an entrepreneurial spirit in mind. You're like, I can do this. I can do that. And I'm going to do it. I love that. I had the the same, very similar journey. I could build websites. I could, yeah, do social media. So funny. Um, So talk to me, as you were transitioning out of waiting tables and hosting and, and the, you know, working in really the restaurant industry, did you transition out slowly? Did you have one or two clients while you were still working that job? How did that work for you? Yeah, that's a great question. This is so I love this question because so rarely do we get into the nuts and bolts and I hope that the people listening to this appreciate that like that I think there's value in being transparent and honest about like how much money I needed, like how much money I was making, how much money I made, where it went from there and and really getting into the nitty-gritty of um of of that transition period. My my brother is a screenwriter out in LA and he loves listening to podcasts of other screenwriters and hearing like what would what was their path? How did they get where they were going? 
And he said, it dri- It always he always says this. He's like, it drives me crazy because the writer's like, yeah, yeah, I was doing this and that and I was doing that and that. And then, you know, like one thing led to another and then I was at lunch for – and he's like, no, 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 no. What's the one thing that led to another? Like like the yada, 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 what is that? <laughs> right. So your question I, I, I really appreciate. I think it's um, – I think it's an important question. Yeah, I, I transition slowly. Um, as uh, as entrepreneurially minded as I am, and the different businesses that I've started and, and closed, and, and and the different things I've done with my life, uh, the risks I've taken, I should say I'm I'm relatively risk averse, and I never wanted to rely on something. So I kept my job for a while. While I started doing this on the side, it was a side hustle for a long time. And then slowly I just said, okay, if I get four clients, then I can lose another night at the restaurant. If I get five clients, I can lose another night at the restaurant. If I And I just started adding them uh, in, in that way. So I, I took a very measured approach to it. Yeah, that's interesting. I was wondering if you just took the big leap and just jumped and said, I'm out of this. That's, yeah, that's so I risky. don't believe in the big leap. And I'm guessing you don't <laughs> either because I think you don't then start seeing clearly by taking a measured approach. I will also say I was able to operate. I was able to be like cool as a cucumber. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cause I didn't need that paycheck. I, I had another paycheck. Right. It allowed me to establish a certain relationship with my clients. It was like, yeah, no big deal. You know, the clients that were late in payment, like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll, you know, can, can I pay you in a couple of weeks? I'm like, no big deal. Yeah, sure. Not a problem. And if I injected this, you know, this desperation, like, no, I really need that so I can pay my rent. I think it changes the relationship. So I will say it's one of the, it was one of the hardest, I'll say, year and a half, um, two years of my life because I was, you know, I wanted to be impatient. But by doing that, I really learned how to how to establish a relationship with my clients that was able to put me on on solid footing and and honestly the higher ground. It gave me leverage. Um, with my clients that that's only helped me and my family in the long run. Yeah. I love that. I don't know. I think you might know that I, I worked as Ken Davenport's director of marketing for many years for about seven years mm-hmm. and really over the span of about five of those years, I had a second business that I was growing and scaling. And then I had a third business that I was, you know, growing and scaling. And like you said, it just gave me the comfort and confidence after a certain point towards the end of, I guess, 2020 it was, where I was like, okay, I can I can step away from the full-time life now and I can be my own boss and, and live that dream. So, And I'll ask you, I mean, did you know, like you knew when it was time, it just, it, like it made sense, right? It presented itself. It did. It literally presented itself. Ken and I were both like, so you're doing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and what, a, and, and I'm sure that that has, um, allowed you to maintain the relationship you have with Ken and has opened up other doors that wouldn't have necessarily been possible. You've made him and his business and his life better. And, and I'm sure it's, it's been reciprocated and it just, it gives you, it, it gives you such power, I think in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talk to me a little bit. There's, so you have a very successful podcast of your own, um, restaurant strategy Talk to me about how that came to be and how that really plays into like your marketing and customer acquisition strategy. It's a great question. So I'll back up again and say, <laughs> I remember when my life changed in the theater when I learned about royalties. Mm. And I went to a party of a big Tony Award winner. It was a Christmas party. And I was like, this guy's in the theater. How does he afford this? 
being totally naive and stupid. And they were like, he's a director and a choreographer on Broadway. And I was like, yeah, but it's theater. And they're like, let me tell you, an actor (laughs) makes $2,000 a week while the choreographer or the director makes twenty, thirty, forty thousand a week plus per production. And I and I, I remember when that became obvious to me and I was like, Oh, here's that rich dad, poor dad, you know, concept. If anybody's never read that book, it will change your life. It's it's a little bit cheesy and on the nose, but the ideas are really good. This idea of passive income, creating something that can make money while you're sleeping, right? You write a book, you you toil at it for a year, you put it out there, and just people buy it 20 bucks at a time over and over and over again, and they just send you your little piece of it, right? Whatever it is, right? You, you write a Broadway show, you get a piece of it for life. You write a book, you get a piece of it. You own an apartment building, people pay you rent every month, and you get a little piece of it. I, I became really fascinated with this idea of passive income. It was something that I never really grew up understanding and never learned about. You know, you went to you went to school, you got a good job, you worked until you retired, um, somewhere right back in my theater career, I became really aware of this and it was always sort of sitting in the back of my mind. And as I was working with clients and taking on more and more and more and more, I was like, I'm maxed out. I can only charge so much for these services. I can only work with so many clients before I, before I top out. So I, I need, I need something else. The podcast was like the beginning inkling of an idea that I know enough from marketing that people buy from companies or people buy from people that they know, like, and trust. So nobody knew me. So they didn't know if they liked me and they certainly didn't trust me. And I was working with clients over and over and over again. And it really was uh, just to scratch my own itch. I just thought I'm going to turn on the microphone every single week and talk to restaurant owners about the things that I think they need to know about, uh, about, the way I think they need to be thinking about their their businesses and the, and the systems in place, how they market their restaurant, how they build their budgets, all of that. In the beginning, it was just about, hey, let me have this conversation instead of one-to-one where I'm pissing off a lot of restaurant owners who don't want to agree with me. Let me <laughs> turn on the microphone and be able to reach many, many more people um, and have these conversations. In the back of my head, I knew that could be or, or would in time if all went well, and I certainly had no preconceived notions, whether it would become a success, but I knew it could be kind of the center of the ecosystem, you know, which is exactly what it is now. And, uh, partially, uh, thanks to you and how you've really helped me expand, uh, what I offer and the ways in which I help my audience. But in the beginning, I just thought, Hey, I need people to know me, like me and trust me. And if they show up every single week, week after week after week, if they start trusting me enough and giving me their ear 30 minutes every week or 45 minutes every single week, then maybe in time they'll trust me enough to buy from me, right? To to mm-hmm. buy a service, a program, a course, a what a workshop, a, a book, uh, whatever whatever that is. And so I knew in the beginning it was just about, hey, this is um this is how you start building trust. And the other piece is that I wasn't seeing any other podcast out there like mine. There was a lot of interviews. I was like, who cares? There was a lot of things with like big fancy CEOs and CFOs, but there was nothing out there speaking to small operators, right? Like a small to mid-sized, like mom and pop shop. There was nobody, um, there was very, there wasn't anything out there that was saying, 
here's the strategy behind this, or here's a way to think about this, or here are the, the five ways to do this. And and there was there were no interviews with smaller operators like that. And I just thought, bam, I found my I found my niche. That's that's who I'm gonna target and this is how I'm gonna build up trust. I love that. So you were saying that at a certain point you were maxed out. You can only scale your time so much. Of course, you can always charging more, but but there becomes a, a ceiling for that. How have you scaled your business um, so that you can still make more money with the same amount of time? So in the beginning, it was about doing these social media services and and basically a freelance photographer, right? That's that was sort of the what I did with a lot of my time. Um, that's great. I got a bunch of people to give me a thousand dollars a month and. And you max out after about eight or nine or 10. Um, I think I did 14 different accounts at my height. And I was like, this is this is crazy. The way I scaled from there is that I just started working with fewer clients but offering more services. Mm-hmm. So instead of just social media, I was then offering basically full coverage, right? Like, like helping them work on menus and in-store collateral and posters, again, leveraging my uh, my graphic design skills. Um, my web design skills, I was doing that email marketing, really building a sort of a strategy, uh, for, for how to do that. I was uh, doing a lot of writing again, I'm a, I'm a writer. So I was uh, helping everybody start, uh, blogs cause I believe it's important for SEO purposes and for building familiarity with your, um, with your audience. <laughs> There's a blog, like a blog exists. It's a way for you to talk about what you're doing, how you do it and why it matters. Like, why would you why would you not do that? So I ended up doing that for a lot of restaurants. So again, then I work with less clients but offer a broader suite of services. And again, after about two years, I sort of maxed out. Like I couldn't work with, I couldn't work with any more people, and and that became really time consuming. Um, which is honestly brings us up to meeting you, and how you had recommended I grow the business, right? Which is then. So I, again, I started doing social media and that sort of, those services. Then I moved into a full suite of marketing services. I was a, the fractional CMO, right? That, that marketing director in a box. Then I started doing coaching. I started doing one-on-one coaching, honestly, over the pandemic, because a lot of people needed help. Uh, just nobody here in New York because restaurants couldn't really open. So I started working with a lot of people outside of the city and I started coaching. So not doing the work, but, but talking them through how to do the work, which was great instead of you know, four or five, six thousand dollars a month. You know, somebody could just pay me a thousand or two thousand dollars a month. You know, for me to show them, tell them, explain to them, guide them, coach them on how to do it. And again, I sort of came to that wall, which is the moment that that you sort of that that Ken had introduced us, and and you sort of you know cracked it open in a whole new way, which really is about you know now we're realizing. Now I'm realizing the the sort of dream I had all along, which is this idea of passive income and really finding something that will scale, which is, you know, this group coaching piece and a digital course. And and, and I have great hopes and we're already seeing where it's going now. It's a much more efficient use of my time, um, but it's a way that I can impact more people and be more efficient with my time. Absolutely. And I love working with you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I have, I adore working with you. I mean, it really is a, a match made in heaven. You've, you've listened to all the things that I bring to the table and the thoughts I have, and you're not afraid to challenge me. Um, famously, the first meeting we had, I was like, no, 
<laughs> and then we came back a few weeks later, and I was like, "Okay, run it through, run it through again. Let let me let me hear with uh with open with open ears this time." Yeah, well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> me too. Um, switching gears here a little bit on the questions. Um, how do you how do you define success as an entrepreneur? For me, it is about being able to do what you want to do. So it's this idea of financial freedom, right? Like you, if you're able to do what, what you want to do and you can, you can, uh, you can use your time the way that, that you believe it should be used. I think so many people trade time for money. I certainly did that for a very, very long time. I think a lot of people in this world, and I think, again, there's that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the rich dad mentality is different than the poor dad. Poor dad is we, you know, we do good in school, we get a good job, we work really hard until we have enough money to retire, and then we live out the rest of our days. And the rich dad mentality is about, you know, how can I bring value to people in a way that they compensate me in a way that's appropriate, um, that that acknowledges the value that I bring to the table. And so, in any event, how do I define success now? It is about, um, it is about the freedom to do what I want to do. And, and I'm closer now and doing that more than I've ever had before. So I believe that artists are natural entrepreneurs. So as a theater artist yourself, um, what qualities do you have that you think have really helped you succeed in business? Creativity. I'm able to think outside the box. Um, that goes without saying. I think I'm able to see opportunities where other people see roadblocks, right? Like I'm able to just, that's the best way I can put it. I'm able to see opportunities where other people see roadblocks. I think that's the the optimist versus the pessimist. You know, you see opportunity in, in, in any crisis. And I think another crucial piece is this idea of grit, which I think every theater artist certainly understands this idea of perseverance. I mean, you can't get up and go out to audition after audition after audition and keep that eternal optimism that the next one might be the one, the next one might be the one, the next, I mean, you know, my wife, she was a performer uh, for many, many years and she must have gotten cut from like 40 straight auditions. And she was at like at the end of her rope when she booked her first national tour, got her card, you know, worked at Tommy tune. It was like, Oh, like that came out of nowhere. And she like auditioned, had two callbacks in the course of like eight days and, you know, was, was out on the road, you know, a month and a half later. I think it's creativity, the, the ability to see outside the box, that, that, that optimist spirit and finally grit. Angela Duckworth wrote that incredible book uh, called Grit. If, if listeners haven't ever heard it, it is worth your time, especially if anybody are parents of young children. Um, halfway through the book, the book turns into like, how do we parent how do we instill this sense of grit and determination and perseverance in our kids um and i found that as a as a parent of a young child i found that really really um profound uh, because it is something i end up thinking about like how do i get this way how do i instill that in in my son right like how do we how do we inspire uh, you know a generation of entrepreneurs and theater makers to 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 do this uh you know in in the right in the right way it's it, it's a great book and, and it speaks right to this idea. Well, I'm definitely going to buy that. Um, I certainly want my son to have the grit that, that we both possess and my baby number two, who's about five weeks away. I know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
what advice do you have for artists who are deciding to whether or not to, you know, take the big leap and become an entrepreneur and start a business? It's so funny. I just did a podcast episode about this on the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. There's a great book, again, another book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is this, it feels like this very corporate business book, but it's really not. It's really about entrepreneurship. And he talks about this thing called uh, the hedgehog concept. And it's a Venn diagram. So there are three circles that are overlapped, right? And, and the key is that section right in the center where all three overlap. And the three circles are named, uh, the, the first one says, uh, what are you deeply passionate about? The second one is uh, what drives your economic engine? Meaning what will people pay you to do? Mm-hmm. And then the third one is what can you be the best in the world at, right? What are you deeply passionate about? What drives your economic engine? And then what can you be the best in the world at? And genius, brilliance, opportunity is found right in the center, right? So to bring this back again, Natalie Weiss, another guest on your show, like she sings like nobody else. She riffs like nobody else, but she found that Venn diagram right in the center of teaching people how to riff, of breaking down how she does it and how all these, you know, incredible uh, recording artists do it. Like you can't like that's genius. Like there's genius at that center point. So I would urge anybody out there to really think about those three things. What are you deeply passionate about? What drives your economic engine? Meaning what will people pay you for? What what sort of value can you provide? And what can you do better than anyone else in the world? And that's sort of the barometer that that I think will take you through um, wherever you're going to go. That is so smart. I'm going to go, you know, do a Venn diagram after this. <laughs> yep. It's, uh, listen, it's such, it's this like simple little exercise and he gives like 40 examples in the book and you're like, oh my God. And again, he's talking about giant corporations and I can't help but read that um, from a, from an artist's perspective. I mean, he's talking about creativity. He's talking about like, like, what does the audience want? Like, like how does Hamilton happen? How does Book of Mormon happen? How, like it's right there in the center of the, of that Venn diagram. Absolutely. So if people want to find you online and learn more about what you do, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, my website is chipclose.com. It's C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. You can find about, out about me, my podcast, the um, uh, my speaking engagements, all of that. You can check out the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. Uh, there's a website, restaurantstrategypodcast.com. Uh, if you ever have any interest and curiosity, uh, we talk about things uh, not just uh, not just restaurants, but it's all sort of focused there. But there, there are other ideas. But if you want to want to hear what uh, what I'm doing over there, that's the best way to do it. I love it. I could talk to you literally all day. I really appreciate you being here. <laughs> I really appreciate you having me. Uh, I love what you're doing here. Um, I wish I had had something like this seven, eight years ago as I was sort of transitioning and trying to find my own way. So I applaud you for doing this. Thanks for listening to this conversation. This podcast is produced by Mary Dina and supported by Abby Martin. If you'd like to hear more from entrepreneurs in the entertainment space, download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so more entrepreneurs like you can find these conversations. And if you're in the entertainment industry, follow me all year long on Instagram and Facebook at Big Leap Brands. Until next time.